The first thing that came to my mind when I started thinking about this harvest story, and we're going to read it here in a minute, but how many of you like to garden? You don't have to raise your hand, but I I, I love to garden. Now, since we uh, live, as Janet uh, told us, uh, in the, the Peoria Swiss Alps, in other words, we live way up the bluff, uh, it's a beautiful view, uh, but the soil right around our house is, is pretty rocky. There's actually boulders and things. And, and so for us to have a garden, we just actually have a nice little cedar raised bed on the porch. And we grew tomatoes this year. It was fantastic. They didn't get quite as big as I had hoped, but we had tons of them. I think there's still a handful of left from the last picking on our counter. And that's been great to just go out in the morning and, and tend those plants and, and, and eat that. I got to thinking as I was uh, looking at things for this message, you know, now that I've pulled the tomatoes out, we typically plant carrots and maybe radishes and different sort of cool weather plants. And one of the things that's different when you plant carrots, or at least the way I do it, there there are multiple ways, we typically will just sort of make rows and we'll, and we'll put, we know when we're planting the seeds, the carrot seeds, uh, that they're not all going to make it because as they start to germinate and as they start to sprout, several of them will sort of grow together. And at some point after they begin germinating, we'll actually go through and do what's called thinning. And so, you know, maybe there's four or five carrots that are just real. And it's like you don't want them to grow up in that close to proximity. So we'll go through and we'll, and we'll pick some out to make room for the one that will eventually be fully matured and harvested and maybe make it into a salad or whatever it is. And I think for us, there's some very clear connections and application to this sort of analogy for harvesting and planting, maybe cultivating, watering to our understanding of the kingdom. This is what Jesus did when he used these parable stories um, is he used earthly principles or earthly illustrations to demonstrate something with a heavenly meaning, or in other words, to kind of help us latch on to the kingdom. Heavenly or earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. So let's go ahead and look um, at this passage, and then we'll begin to pull some things out of it. Matthew 13, we're going to just look at the first nine verses to start. Uh, I'm reading from the message version today. It says, at about the same time, that same time, Jesus left the house and sat on the beach. In no time at all, a crowd had gathered along the shore, forcing him to get into a boat. Using the boat as a pulpit, he addressed his congregation, telling stories. What do you make of this? he asked. A farmer planted seed. As he scattered the seed, some of it fell on the road, and birds ate it. Some fell in the gravel. It sprouted quickly but didn't put down roots, so when the sun came up, it withered just as quickly. Some fell in the weeds. As it came up, it was strangled by the weeds. Some fell on good earth and produced a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. Are you listening to this? Really listening? He asked. First of all, just as a little bit of an aside, I couldn't help but notice if you could sort of picture this, you know, 
crowd that is coming to hear hear Jesus teach, uh, the picture that gets in my mind is that they're sort of coming in so aggressively that as he gets sort of backed up, it's like he has to go on the boat to like not be kind of overwhelmed by the crowd. Like they're so eager uh, to hear more of Jesus' teaching, to get more in touch with the kingdom. And he has to sort of step back on the boat to sort of make space, to begin to share these stories. But we see this all throughout Jesus' ministry that he tells stories. And we're going to look here in a little bit about uh, the scripture actually tells us in the next several verses why. Why tell stories? And you know... We've talked about this some here uh, in our context, is that it's something we're actually all invited to do, is to share our story. Um, but before we get there, no, I'm going out of order. Sorry, friends. Let's go ahead and look at why Jesus tells stories. We already said parables or, or these, these stories are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. And so if we just go on uh, here where it says in verse 10, the disciples came up and asked, why do you tell stories? And Jesus replied, you've been given insight into God's kingdom. You know how it works. Not everybody has this gift, this insight, because it hasn't been given to them. Whenever someone has a ready heart for this, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there is no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories, to create readiness, to nudge the people towards a welcome awakening. It's important for us to understand, to start off with the why. I've shared with you before the book that I love uh, called Start With Why. So if we understand why Jesus is telling stories, then we can get in touch with what we're invited to. And, and it's right here in black and white. And I've summarized it this way. Stories help people move towards the kingdom. It, it says there that it creates readiness. In other words, again, to bring it down to, to our level because we think, well, I'm not slick enough to, you know, make up. No, we're not saying that you need to tell parables. You need to tell your story. And as we do that, as we've shared in past messages, sharing your story can create readiness, can create receptivity to people who think that God can't do anything for them. As you share your story, well, here's what God did for me. Here's the way he intersected my life or enabled me to walk out of some area of addiction or a hurt or a hang-up. That story of simply what God has done for you, which is, you know, people can't argue with because that's your lived experience. That story creates a readiness and openness to be able to receive the kingdom. And so, again, we're following the pattern of Jesus. Jesus told these stories because, and, and did you catch that, where he says, are you listening? And he says, really listening. Because the point of the story is not so that you understand first century agrarian principles. Like, that, that's, that's not the point of what he's saying. In the same way that me talking about planting my carrots is not so you guys have 
a, a good method and, and, oh, maybe I didn't know I needed to thin out the care. No, that's not the point. We're trying to take something that we understand and illustrate something of the kingdom. Because the kingdom, in many ways, is, is a mystery. It, it, it's, it's not something that we can just figure out. It's revealed to us by Jesus, and he uses stories to help move us in that direction. And so again, to, to flip it to our responsibilities, we're sharing our stories with people. Never underestimate the power and impact that your story of life change, your story of how Jesus has done something for you, can connect with other people and help them sort of bridge that gap and begin to move towards the kingdom. <coughs> okay. We're going to go on and look at sort of, if you will, the, the explanation of these particular, you know, he mentions sort of several different things that happen with these seeds, the types of soil that they fall in. And he goes on to explain in verse 18 and 19, it says, study this, the story of the farmer planting seed. When anyone hears the news of the kingdom and doesn't take it in, it just remains on the surface. And so the evil one comes along and plucks it right out of that person's heart. This is the seed that the farmer scatters on the road. So see, he's beginning to connect when he tells the story about the seed that falls on the road. This is the kingdom principle that he's talking about, is that Someone hears the news. In other words, someone hears your story. They, they learn of how Jesus has intersected your life, but they, they don't take it in. It doesn't penetrate their heart. And, and be relieved, it's not our job to ensure that it does. Our job is just, and we'll get to this, is, is just the obedience of sharing the story. But he's, he's trying to help us understand that there are all different levels of receptivity. That's, that's that soil. People are the soil. And well, I'm going to jump ahead. This is the seed that the farmer scatters on the road. Okay. Verse 20 and 21, the seed cast in the gravel. This is the person who hears and instantly responds with enthusiasm. But there's no soil of character. And so when the emotions wear off and some difficulty arrives, there's nothing to show for it. Again, he's, he's connecting this. I told you this illustration, this story. This is what it looks like in real life in relation to the kingdom. Let's look at the, the last two. Uh, verse 22, the seed cast in the weeds is the person who hears the kingdom news, but weeds of worry and illusions about getting more and wanting everything under the sun strangle what was heard and nothing comes of it. And the last one, the best one, the seed cast on good earth is the person who hears and takes in the good news and then produces a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. Well, obviously, you know, well, that, that's the one we hope for. But I think, I, I just want to caution, again, I, I don't, I, I'll just relate it to my experience. And I think for all of us, there can be a temptation to try to look at the soil which in our case is people, 
and determine, is that soil good enough for me to plant a seed in? Or is it not? And we'll make that judgment based on our evaluation of their readiness. I think what Jesus is trying to tell us to do is that it's not our job to judge the soil. It's not a, Now, you know we say this about people all the time, right? Like, it's one of our ways that we express our values is that we don't want to walk in judgment. We don't want to assume moral superiority. Well, when it comes to this analogy of the soil, we have to realize that what we see on the surface, it does not indicate the condition of the heart. Yes, we can see the fruit of someone's life, but we cannot determine by looking from the outside in how ready someone's heart is to receive the gospel message. We, we don't have the ability to evaluate that. So we need to not judge the soil and withhold seed because we don't think it's going to produce a good harvest. Don't judge the soil. The other thing that I think comes out of this story is that if we're not to judge the soil, it's not up to us to determine, you know, a way we've said it in the past is the results are not our responsibility. Our responsibility is, is planting the seeds and watering. We'll get to that in a minute. But if we're not to judge the soil, I think we would be much more effective if we just train ourselves to plant lots more seeds. And in this case, seeds are stories and invitations. Again, I think sometimes we, we take too much responsibility for how is this thing going to grow? I don't want to put forth the effort to, to share or to plant or to invite if this doesn't seem like a, a sure thing. If this doesn't seem like this is going to produce a harvest, why would I want to put forth the effort? Well, just the same way with my carrots. In order for me to get that healthy carrot that grows, I've got to plant more than I know we're going to make it. And, and, and I've got to be okay with that. I, I can't ever let the fact that not every seed I plant is going to grow to full fruition be an excuse to not plant more seeds. And I'm trying to make it very simple. Again, this is not about taking a master course on how to write parables or master class on evangelism and and you know all the different things that you might do let's keep it simple let's make it accessible for everybody we can all tell stories and we can all extend invitations and i think jesus is inviting us and encouraging us and i'm including me in that us to just do that a lot more in a naturally supernatural way with whoever's in your path, and without any excuse for, well, I, I don't know. You know what the truth is? I don't know if this is going to work out. But can I tell you a secret? The times when I have the most doubt and the most questions is the times when I push that aside and plant the seed anyway, I have the most fun when that one actually produces a harvest. Now, we don't always get to see the harvest. We don't always get to see the results, but it's actually really fun when, because, again, like in the moment, we don't think about this, but it's important for us to be reminded. 
When, when you feel that nudge or that urge or you have an opportunity to in, invest in someone, to plant a seed, to offer an invitation, and you start hearing questions, you start having doubt. Well, Jesus, is that really you? That's probably actually a really good sign that it is. Because what, what's the worst that could happen? It falls on bad soil. That doesn't produce a harvest, but you were still obedient. But you have an enemy that recognizes, oh, this person's actually being about the Father's business. They're actually planting seeds that, that might. And so it's like, again, when you feel that resistance, that doubt, just plant seeds anyway. If it feels frightening, do it afraid. I know that's like really hard for us. It's hard, it's hard for me. I think we need to train ourselves to plant a lot more seeds. <coughs> Flip over, if you want, to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 6 to 8. Oh, I'm sorry, 6 to 7. The reference on the screen may be wrong. but 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7. I planted the seeds in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes the seed grow. Some versions uh, would translate this, God brings the increase. In other words, it, that, again, we need to get straight what our job is and what Jesus' job is. Our job is to plant the seeds and do some watering. His job is to let the sun shine and bring the growth. We can't get that flipped around, and we can't take responsibility for things that are ours. Okay, so for planting lots of seeds, he also mentions watering in there. Let us not forget to also be waterers. And I would call waterers showing love, encouragement, sharing a scripture, sharing a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, you know, someone who, where a seed has been planted, whether it's you or someone else, because you notice he said there, I planted the seed and Apollos watered it. And it's not important whether you're, uh, with any given person, whether you're the planter or the waterer, but we need both. And we need to always be ready to plant a seed, but we also need to be ready to water to show Jesus' practical love by serving someone, helping with a need, by encouraging them, sharing an encouraging word, or, or sharing, again, a, a word of, of prophecy or wisdom or knowledge. Those things water the seed that was planted. Because it, it, it takes all of that. You know, and, and I'm not going to go through... It, it, I, don't, I, I wouldn't insult your intelligence to explain the growth cycle to you, but all of those elements are needed. Soil, water, sun, like, and so we can't forget to water. We need to plant lots of seeds and we need to be watering. We need to be, again, to go back to our vineyard values, we aspire to be people that are looking for the gold. We don't aspire to be people that are looking for all the things that are wrong with everybody else while ignoring our own faults. No, we're looking for the gold. We're always... Digging, where is there a seed that's planted and can I pour some water on it? Again, you may not be the one that planted the seed, but if when I encounter someone in my daily walk in life, can I be looking? 
Can I be asking the Holy Spirit? Can I be thinking, where is there a kingdom seed that was planted in this person's life and how can I water it? How can I encourage its growth? How can I provide it nutrient sustenance so that it has a chance to grow into fruition so that people can come into the kingdom? <coughs> Let's jump back to Matthew 13 in that 23rd verse one more time where it says, The seed cast on good earth is the person who hears and takes in the news and then produces a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. The last thing that I think Jesus would invite us to is to expect a harvest. Now, the harvest is not, it's not our responsibility to ensure the results, but we should expect a harvest beyond our wildest dreams. And if we're not experiencing it, because the Bible would tell us that, that the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. So I don't want you to take this as, as condemnation or judgment because I have as much room as anybody else to grow in this area. But if we're not experiencing a harvest of some sort, it might just be that we're not planting enough seeds, that we're not watering people enough, that we've gotten caught up or distracted with our own problems. We've slipped into a judgmental attitude or we've just simply not placed importance on following the model of Jesus and being about his business. Well, the good news is, like everything else, Jesus is not looking at us, you know, doing the shame, shame finger, saying, boy, I just can't wait till you guys get your act together. But he's ready and waiting and willing to help us in this area. Because I'll, I'll tell you the truth. If I just look at my natural personality and the things that, that I think are important, I'm probably not going to do this real well. I'm more, now some of you are relate to this, different parts of this. I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. I'm not like my wife. I don't, uh, I, I do meet strangers. Like she, I, we joke, you know, she never meets a stranger because it's like she just naturally connects with people and, and has, you know, acquaintances. I mean, it's like uh, she'll come home in the afternoon from school and tell story, you know, and rattle off some name. It's like, well, who is that? I don't, I don't know that person. It's like, but she probably knows every person, you know, in, in her school context. You know, it's like there's 42 teachers. I might know four of them. She probably knows 40 of them. But that's okay. We need Jesus to help us because, again, it doesn't have to work against our personality. So me being an introvert does not mean that I get a pass and I don't need to plant seeds, but it means I'm invited to do it in a way that is naturally supernatural for me. And so we should expect a harvest beyond our wildest dreams. Can we just stop for a minute and think about what that could even look like? You know, maybe maybe for some of you, a harvest beyond your wildest dreams is just one person saying yes to Jesus. Because maybe you've never directly been involved or been the catalyst for somebody saying yes to Jesus and, and coming into the kingdom. For some, you say, yeah, I, I, I have, but it's like, 
It's been a long time. I, I, don't, I don't remember exactly what that's like. And I'll be honest, I, I've been there at times. Maybe for some of us, you know, yeah, I feel like I do that from, from time to time. But man, wouldn't it be cool to, to see one person every week or one person every day? Like, there have been times in, in history where God's people got unified enough and got on mission, and he also sovereignly came and met them in that moment, that, that this idea of people coming into the kingdom was more like an explosion than a trickle. And, and that, that's, not about, that's not like about church growth for us. But it's about, because not everybody that comes to the kingdom will come our way and join our community, and we need to, we need to reconcile and be okay with that. But we also need to be ready because many of them will. We, but we have to hold that with an open hand. What would it be like? I've told you this before. In the early days of the Anaheim Vineyard, over the course of that first summer when things be, had begun happening, I think the estimates were somewhere around 1,700 people uh, said yes to Jesus and were baptized over the course of one summer. You know, Now, granted, they're a much larger church, but that's when they were starting out. And that would, I would say, would be a harvest beyond my wildest dreams. What is it for us? I've been praying and asking Jesus about this question. And I would say, uh, from now till Easter, what would it be like for us? I think this is a, a, a tangible thing that we can grab a hold of. What would it be like if 40 people as a result of, of us collectively said yes to Jesus and came into the kingdom between now and, and Easter of next year. Now to some people, well, that's, that's dreaming kind of small. Have we seen anywhere near that? No. For some of us, that might be, that might be beyond our wildest dreams. Some of us think, I don't know if that's reasonable. I don't know if that's possible. It's probably not. But yet, Jesus says with me, all things are possible. So can we, can we dream that direction? Can we expect a harvest that's actually beyond uh, our wildest dreams, beyond what we think we can accomplish just with strategy, but can we invite Jesus to be in that planting process and expect him to bring about a harvest? Would you stand with me? And I'm just going to pray, and and you can just pray in, in your own way or under your breath, but... If you want to sort of partner with me, I'd love for us to begin praying things like that. Let me share real quick before we do that. You know, one of the things that has uh, happened over the last few weeks um, in a couple different little pockets of people is some of us have begun uh, sharing the names of those close to us that need to know Jesus that either don't or maybe did and have walked away or, or, or wherever they are on that spectrum. But, but just those in our personal lives, we say, you know, the, these are some people that they, they need to take some steps towards Jesus. They, they need to come closer or enter the kingdom. And we've actually begun to write those names down and sort of keep a list and, and pray about it because it's actually one of the most effective things we can do. If we want to see a harvest, yes, we have to partner with Jesus and, and plant the seeds and water the seeds and be available. 
But the most important thing we can do is pray that the Lord of the harvest would bring it about. And I think sometimes we underestimate that, the effectiveness and the power of that. And so I'd encourage you to begin just writing down those names and praying for them on a regular basis and seeing what the Lord does just as a result of your faithful and obedient prayers. But would you join me as we pray even just now? As We just want to invite Jesus to, to be in this season with us as we kick off a new series, as we plunge more fully into the fall, as we look towards next year, that Jesus would bring about a harvest that's beyond what we could think or imagine. Jesus, we love you. Uh, we love your church that you have assembled here. And we just ask, Jesus, we, we ask boldly because uh, as best we can, our, our motives are, are pure and not selfish. We have tasted and seen how good your kingdom is, and we're asking you to enable us, to bring us people that we can invest in, that we could see 40 people say yes to Jesus, say yes to you, to come into your kingdom over these next months, from now until Easter and the end of March. And, and we believe, Jesus, that this request is perfectly in line with your will. I think it's the kind of thing that you want to say yes to. <clears throat> so I don't have any doubt about that, Jesus, but would you help keep us on track? Would you enable us to participate with you in that kingdom mission? Have your way, Lord. We thank you. We love you as we prepare to worship you through song. Would you just come even now and, and continue speaking and just encounter us in worship? It's for the glory of your name and the greater being of people, greater well-being of people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>